name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. So a couple of different things today, right? We had a, a dove kite fly on the way in, if you missed it. And then there was that reading just now where, if you haven't heard it before, I'm sure that was a little confusing. And if it was a little confusing for you this morning to hear all those voices and all those languages, imagine how confusing it actually was for the apostles as they waited, not knowing what the new church would look like, not knowing what God was calling them to do, and then all of a sudden, these tongues of fire appear, and they're speaking in many different languages. And there's a, a decent picture of that moment on the front of your bulletin, if you didn't look at it. You can see the dove, which is our sort of standard image for the Spirit coming down on them, and each one of them has a tongue of fire above them. It teaches them to speak new languages and gives them new gifts for the church. If it was confusing for you, you can imagine how confusing it was for them and how sort of overwhelming it probably was to suddenly be in the room with the power of God. We wear red on this day, on Pentecost, to remind us of that fire, of the power of God, of how sort of wild and strong God's power is. It, it should remind us of the same spirit that moves over the waters at the beginning of creation, of God who creates all things and all of us. And this spirit, as it's given to the disciples and the apostles, becomes sort of something uncontrollable. It makes changes in their lives. It gives them the ability to actually do the work that Jesus does. In the first couple of years after this, the disciples are able to go and touch people and heal them, to cast out demons, to cleanse people, to recreate communities and rebuild relationships. They're participating in the same work that Jesus does when he's alive and he's here with us. In fact, that's rather the point of the gospel. James and John go to Jesus and say, which is bold, by the way, we want you to do whatever we ask you to do for us. Which in some ways is a human ask. We want you to do whatever we ask you to do. But the tricky part is that that's not actually how our relationship with Jesus works. And the end of that conversation between them, Jesus says, okay, you will drink the cup that I drink, and you will share in my baptism, which means you will share in my work, the work to which I'm called, the work that I did in the world you will continue to do. I will share with you my life and my work. All of that through the power of the Spirit that comes on this day that we call Pentecost. Now yesterday, 23 of our young people were confirmed at St. Stephen's in Ridgefield. And confirmation in the Episcopal Church is what we call a mature confession of faith. It's intended to be a moment in which whoever it is, whether you're young or in your 50s or 60s or older than that, whenever it is you find yourself confirmed, it's the moment when you say, this is my faith journey, I believe in Jesus Christ, he is my Lord and Savior, and I will spend the rest of my life following him. It's a mature confession of faith. It sort of fills out the promises that are made at baptism, because if you were baptized like me as an infant, you don't remember making those promises for yourself. Your parents or your godparents made them for you. 
And so this is a, a moment when you're invited to own for yourself how you will continue to live your life and who you will follow and what your priority will be. And it's an important moment. And it's often seen as a culmination, but it's actually really not. It's not by any means the last step on a journey. It's actually only the beginning. Because before that, unless you were baptized as an adult, and I know some people were, which is very cool, by the way, but unless you were baptized as an adult, someone else made those promises for you. So now you have to learn how to take them on yourself. And just like any relationship that's going to last, you have to keep choosing it over and over and over again. Whether you're trying to be a good friend or a good spouse or a good sibling or a good child or a good parent, you get up every day and you choose again to try to do those things that make you a good person, a good teammate, a good part of the picture. So too, does it work with our relationship with God? We have to keep sort of choosing it. So at baptism, we believe that we are claimed by the Spirit, that God sort of adopts us and says, from now on, you are mine. And there's nothing you can do to lose that. You will always be mine. And at confirmation, we get again that sort of burst of the Spirit, the same Spirit that comes to the disciples this morning, the same Spirit that has the ability to heal and do miracles, the same Spirit that connects all of us to each other. And that should be a little bit daunting and a little bit jarring, and if you're honest, a little bit terrifying, because that spirit is and it's hard to rein in. Now it's true that you can starve it, you can ignore it, the spirit of God that's in you, that claims you, that loves you and wants to build you up and raise you in the faith and help you find your whole self, you can totally starve that by ignoring it and ignoring God and not going to church and not being connected and not listening to scripture and not being persistent in prayer. You can starve it like any other relationship. If you ignore it, it may not go away, but it won't be as great as it could be. Or you can feed it and live in it and nurture it and let it change you. Now, whether you were confirmed yesterday or you were confirmed six years ago, there's a couple of things that as Episcopalians, we really kind of have to have in our heads all the time as faithful people. Because once you're confirmed, you're a part of the team. You're part of the kingdom. You have a role and a responsibility and work to do. And you can't do it without knowing a couple of things. The first thing, I hope you hear every single time you come into this building, and that is that God loves you. No matter what, no matter what you do or where you go, no matter what you think you've done, no matter how long it's been since you've been to church, no matter how long it's been since you feel like you felt God next to you, there is nothing you can do to make God love you any less. Now what follows from that is a little harder to swallow, and that's that as much as God loves you, God also loves everybody else. And probably, also especially the people that you struggle to love. Which means that everyone has a place in the story, everyone has room at the table, and even those people that you sort of struggle with, there's nothing that they can do either. No place they can go, 
no thing to do so bad that God will stop loving them. That's kind of how it works. It's all of us, all of God's people. Which is the second part of confirmation as an Episcopalian. We believe that all people, all of God's people, all over the world, are equal. That God loves them just as much as God loves us. And that we are connected by this spirit that lives within us and around us. And if that's true, that all people are equal, no matter where they come from or what color their skin is or what language they speak or spoke first or how they got here or who they loved or any other artificial difference that we create to differentiate between people, if that's true, then the ministry that we share with Jesus is about building a world where all of those people have room at the table. Now, as Episcopalians, we're part of a sort of subset of Christians. We're part of the whole. We're part of the, the big universal church of all the Christians around the world. But as Episcopalians, we tell this story in a particular way. We believe in a particular kind of life and justice. We believe that everyone belongs, that everyone matters, and that it is our work in many ways to build a world where everybody gets to be safe and healthy and fulfilled. They get the same opportunity as the rest of us. In fact, yesterday and every time we remake our baptismal covenant, the last two promises we make are that we will seek and serve Christ in all people, loving our neighbor as ourselves, and that we will respect the dignity of every human being. Confirmant, do you remember making that promise yesterday? I hope so. Because it's important, and it's what makes us who we are. As Episcopalians, we tell a particular story about Jesus that is open and loving and flexible and kind. And that's important. Because we live in a world, as the bishop said yesterday, that needs to hear good news and needs to know that there's hope and there's light in the darkness. We live in a world where division is all too common. And we have a role, each one of us who is a mature part of the kingdom of God, a mature part of the body of Christ, has a role. And I know that sounds like a lot of words, but at the end of the day, it's really very simple. We walk out of this place and into the world, and in every interaction we are invited to learn how to love. And it's a very particular kind of love. It's not the love that we see in the movies. In fact, in the Greek, there's many different words for love. And the kind of love we're talking about is called agape. It's love that sacrifices for the other. Love that empties itself out. Love that chooses all the world, all the people around us, Love that wants to honor creation and honor our neighbor. Love that moves and does something worthwhile. It's the same love that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians when he says that love is patient and kind, but he also says that it endures all things and believes all things and hopes all things. That is a resilient, moving, determined kind of love. And it's our job in every interaction in every moment to figure out how to tell that story about love that 
opened consistently so that everyone can participate, so that everyone has room at the table. And in everything we do and every place we go, in the people we talk to, in the work that we do, in the ways that we serve, in the ways that we vote, and the things that we buy, all the things that we do every day, in little and big ways, we are invited to make that choice. And the truth is, it's not an easy journey. In fact, when I was confirmed, it was a long time ago now, my bishop slapped me on the face. Any adults get slapped when they were confirmed? Anybody remember that? It's an old tradition in the church and in the Episcopal Church. Just like we saw yesterday, the bishop would put his hands on our heads, say the prayer, you get the indwelling of the spirit and the laying on of hands that comes down to us from the earliest part of the church. And then the bishop would take one of his hands and just sort of, it was just sort of a gentle slap. And they don't do it anymore because it's not politically correct. <laughs> but it was a reminder to me and to everyone else who experienced it that the life of faith is not easy. That sometimes it's hard, and that it requires something of us, and sometimes it will hurt. And it does. Because love like that asks us to sacrifice ourselves and to choose the other person. And because it's so common in the world, I think, that we hear this story that our faith, and, you know, if God loves us, and it's going to be a nice ride, right? It'll be nothing but openness and blessing and love and light, and, and we all know that that's not true is why confirmation is important. It's a mature confession of faith. It's an understanding that our faith does guarantee us God's love. It does guarantee us life with Jesus, but it doesn't guarantee us an easy ride. It promises us God will sit with us in the pain and the suffering when it comes, but it doesn't promise us that it will be easy and calm because God is not a genie who grants us wishes. And God is not a vending machine who takes our prayers like quarters and lets us choose our own adventure. Instead, Jesus invites us into a very particular kind of life, a particular kind of ministry, to share his cup, to eat at his table, and to be part of his work in the world that is about love and reconciliation. And that work is never easy. It is, however, the only thing that leads us to freedom. And it is the thing that allows us to do the same kind of miraculous work that the disciples do in the early church. Because all of those miracles, whether it was healing or it was casting out demons, no matter what it was, it would allow that person to come back and be part of the group. Whatever difference it was that had separated that person and cast them out and made them untouchable, all of a sudden it would allow that person to come back and be part of the whole. And that, my friends, is the same work that we are called to. And it's the work that the Spirit does let us do. We can free people from loneliness and sadness and fear and prejudice and oppression and hate. We can free people with the power of love that is just as strong as fire and just as wild as the wind that moved over creation at the beginning of time. And it is the same love that lives in you and claims you and will work through you if you will claim it. So what language will you use? What words will you speak? 
how will you unfold this story? The world will not understand it. Peter had to explain it too in the story from Acts. The world will not see it for what it is right away. But you have the best story to tell. So with your words and with your life, how will you tell this story of love? How will you let the Spirit work through you for your freedom and for everyone? Amen.